What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush Halloween special with Joe Garden. <laughs> Everybody's favorite spooky guest. How you uh, doing, buddy? Uh, you know, you know, I, it's, has it already been a year? Where is where's the time gone? This year has just been <laughs> has flown by. <laughs> oh yeah, my. I just voted this morning. You see, I have my vote sticker on. Oh, nice. Uh, Emily and I went and voted early voting and we decided, you know, it's three weeks of early voting and we knew there would be a rush the first week. So we went the second week and literally walked right on in. It was about a three minute process and I almost broke the touch screen. I punched that Biden button so hard. <laughs> what, you're not on the Trump train this time around? Woo woo! Oh, you know what? I, I mean, if you don't like me talking politics, you can pause for the next 30 seconds, but... Uh, I thought it was uh, very ironic. It really just hit me today that Biden's slogan literally should be "Make America Great Again" at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it would literally take almost you know you could actually just have an empty chair in uh, holding the office and it would make America better at this point. Oh, I, I'm so I'm I'm just looking forward to like. Fast forwarding to three months from now when I just yeah. don't have to think about this guy every like every day when I when the yeah. president could just do something and I don't have to be like, oh, I hate this guy so much. <laughs> no, uh, I also thought what a missed opportunity that we didn't have uh, uh, an African-American nominee as president, because then the slogan could have been black is the new orange. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. Uh, so Missed that, opportunity. Yeah. 
So I think, I, but in general, I've been doing pretty good. You know, I've the the whole quarantine kind of like you know I'm because I'm in a rural area. It's or yeah. less less populous area. It's hasn't been quite as bad. Um, you know, we were. Like we were in shut, we were shut down for three months, and then we reopened in June. Like everything re- started to reopen slowly in June. You know, I'm not a big diner out, so that didn't affect me. I don't like at 50. I don't go to bars that much anymore. I mean, I do yeah. miss the occasional live. I mean, I didn't go to a whole lot of live shows, but I miss that. You know, I miss being sure. able to go see a live show. Um, and you know, it's it also sucks because every time I go. I, I we did go to see my my family for a very brief moment. We actually. We're picking up a car. Uh, mm-hmm. My mom was like, hey, I've got a, I found a car for you. We're like, great. Uh, so we drove out to Wisconsin. And it's just like, the worst thing about that was like, just sort of like waiting for two weeks afterwards to make sure right. that I was not, had not been infected and, and, or did not infect my fam, my parents, my 70 plus year old parents. Um, right. And that's the thing that really uh, affected me the, the most. And it's just, you know. And meanwhile, my wife is down in Florida because her sister's having a baby. She just got oh, down there really? yesterday. Yeah. Okay. And How's she doing? How's Hannah? Good? She's she's great. You know, she's doing really good. She's like, she's been doing uh, diary comics about our, our horror movie watching for the month of October. Oh, fun. Where uh, can people find that? Uh, they can find it on her Instagram. Uh, she also is like, she's, you know, she also is doing her own, like she's, does her, uh, she also does her astrology and her tarot for her diary comics. Uh, so if you're into astrology, tarot, or horror movies, you should definitely check out her comics uh, at Instagram at just at Hannah K. Garden. Hannah, same forwards as backwards with an H on both ends. Uh, K. Garden and Garden just like it sounds. I am going to uh, – I'm on Instagram now, so I, I was obviously late to the party, but I'm enjoying it. I think Instagram is a, it's a bit of a safer space for me yeah. as far as the social medias go. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I did sign back up for. I did sign up back up for Facebook for a little bit just to, as I said, hector people about the election, and then I just realized I don't have anything to to hector people about. And I like seeing you come back for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of soapbox posts. I'm yeah. all for it. Yeah, it's just you know my soapbox posts were just like, hey, you know, I don't love Biden, but I like Biden better than the alternative, and also wear a goddamn mask, you savages. Right. Um, I did the I did a flea market this this weekend, and a seventy seven year old woman came up. She, I'm like, oh, you know, she was chatting. She's like, she's like, I'm like, oh, so how are you doing? She's like, oh, really, good. I'm just trying to keep my spirits up, but you know what? And she took her mask on. She's like, these masks don't work. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, they do work. And I just like, because I'm, I'm just over it. I've had to kick people out. Like, I've had to kick people out of the the consignment shop I wear at, work at because. Uh, they're just playing peekaboo with their mask and won't keep yeah. them on. And it's just like, it's so demoralizing to see people do that. It's just where they know, I mean, it's not just because it's like, not just because it's effective, but also because it shows people you care about them and their health. And it's yeah. like, we're all, and it's also like, we're all in this together. That's what it's a, like. If nothing else, it's a signal that we're all going through the same thing. Totally, man. And, like if I got COVID, I, I would still wear one after I was clear even with a robust body full of antibodies, just because the message it sends, like you said, is, hello, I'm Chuck, and I care about people. Right. We're here together, and hey, why don't we just, like, work together to get through this? Yeah, it's a, yeah. Just, it's a no-brainer. 
Totally. So it's just a mask. Jesus <laughs> Christ. I don't like wearing them either, but fuck. Let, let me just say one thing about the, my mask. I did a clean out. Like I helped, I, I worked with an auctioneer locally and I was helping him do a clean out, uh, which, you know, he's like, Oh, you want this? I'm like, okay. So he just like gave me a bunch of stuff. <laughs> he was talking to the right guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was helping him do a clean out and it was 85 degrees and raining. And so as you can imagine, it's like, humid and and horrible and i'm doing a lot of heavy lifting and i still kept my mask on and if i had yeah. to gulp for fresh air i would go out where i was isolated and outside and i would do it and if you can't like walk down the street or like be in a room in a shop for five minutes without wearing a mask i don't know i mean i shouldn't like my my experience isn't universal i should acknowledge that but at the same time it's like if i can go through these adverse conditions and wear a mask for like eight hours most of eight hours in a day Right. It shouldn't be that big of a deal to put one on in a store. Um, For 10 minutes. Yeah. Anyway. Agreed. Sorry. Uh, let's. <laughs> we're actually here to talk about artificial horrors and not the horrors of everyday life. Yeah, man. And you turned <laughs> me on to a new movie for me, uh, Return of the Living Dead, a movie which I had never seen. Uh, a movie written and directed. What's the guy's name? Uh, it's Dan O'Bannon. Uh, written yeah, give me a little background here because you know way more about this than I do. So Dan O'Bannon, he got his start. Uh, he worked on the movie. Uh, he wrote the movie Dark Star, which is directed by John Carpenter. Uh, it was a sort of a horror science fiction comedy. Um, and then he went on to work. He did some special effects work on Star Wars. Uh, and then he moved. He just became like a, a screenwriter. He also wrote a book about screenwriting that you can check out that's supposed to be really good where he kind of references a lot of the a lot of the stuff he's done. Um and he, uh, like, and he also, like, some of the other stuff he wrote, he wrote the screenplay for Alien. He wrote the screenplay for Total Recall. He wrote the screenplay yeah. for Blue Thunder. He wrote the screenplay Crazy, for... Crazy, man. Some of my favorite movies of that era. Yeah. And you just, like, you just don't hear his name that often. And you're just like, oh, this guy is um, so talented. Um, but this was given, you know, he, uh, he was given the opportunity to direct this after having altered the screenplay. And I, to talk about the screenplay, I need to go rewind back a little bit to talk about Night of the Living Dead. So are you ready for that? <laughs> um, so as you may know, like back in the late 60s, uh, uh, Night of the Living Dead was released and, or directed by uh, George Romero, like written and directed by George Romero. And there was another production partner he had whose name I can't remember at the time. Uh, but Night of the Living Dead uh, was, you know, Super popular. It was originally called Night of the Flesh Eaters, uh, and then they decided to go with Night of the Living Dead, which is a much better, a much better title. What was the first one? Night of the Flesh Eaters. Oh, yeah. It's like you hear that, and you're just like, it's, you're just kind of putting it all out there to see for everybody to see. Um, yeah. But the one of the important things about uh, about Night of the Living Dead is it was like really kind of the first flesh eating zombie movie. Uh-huh. Uh, prior to that, they were just sort of like reanimated corpses that would sort of shamble around and be like, you know, they would follow other people's commands. These were the ones that were sort of autonomous that would had one goal in mind. That was to eat, eat bodies. Um, so the problem with the reason a lot of like Night of the Living Dead became as popular as it did is because uh, somewhere on the chain in the business chain, they forgot to uh, – when they changed the movie from Night of the Flesh Eaters to Night of the Living Dead, they forgot to transfer the copyright over. Oh, my God. And so <laughs> he made this movie that just became wildly popular and extremely successful. And 
just didn't have a copyright to it. There was no copyright to it, so there was all this public domain. Like you could screen it without having to pay anything. You could without having to pay royalties. So that said, like he and his production partner split off. Like they split up. Uh, his production partner got to keep the the, the name the Liv- uh, Living Dead, and oh, okay. George Romero, this, which is why George Romero sequels were Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, City of the Dead, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So nothing with Living Dead in there, right? And then. Uh, his production partner wrote a novel called The Return of the Living Dead, which is a very straight sequel. Uh, when Dan O'Bannon uh, wrote the screenplay, he was like, well, I see what the screenplay is. It's like it's very faithful. And meanwhile, George Romero has gone on to make his other zombie movies and become successful. We, don't, we need to set ourselves aside for, apart from that. We need to make it a little bit different. And so he just completely revamped uh, the script he wrote it like just tore it down, kept the name, and just like tore it down, rebuilt it from the ground up. Uh, but he does acknowledge that uh, the first movie, The Night of the Living Dead, existed in the framework of Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, which really, because uh, I, I knew nothing about this. I had seen Night of the Living Dead at some point, but this just isn't a world that I've ever played in. Mm-hmm. And I, I had no, I didn't know the the connection to the previous movie or if there even was one. And the way they did that in this movie, I thought was really interesting. Oh, yeah. So the whole thing is set in Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, I just want to read the uh, – I need to read the uh, the very first title card. The events portrayed in this film are all true. The names are real names of real people and real organizations. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good – and that really kind of sets the tone to it too because it's, it's really just kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, – it's a very tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah, because the first thing you see after that is it, it cuts to the the sign of the building, uh, you need the a, warehouse. You need a yeah. medical supply. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, you know, it's basically like a an employee orientation. Uh, a new guy uh, is getting his, uh, a new guy is getting his, uh, like getting the lay of the land. Oh, it's, it's kind of funny too, because like, He's kind of getting the lay of the land at the end of the, his workday, uh, which yeah. is. Yeah, but that was anyway, kind of funny. Yeah, but he's like he's <laughs> and, getting and the great James Karen right away. Uh, I mean, one of the great character actors and and sort of the only. I mean, I know some of these folks went on to do some other stuff, especially uh, what's his name uh, that played Ernie Don Calfa. Yeah, but um, most of the rest are kind of these unknowns, and I'm sure they they clean up at 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 Comic Con and stuff <laughs> like that. But uh, James Karen is a, is a pretty well known character actor, and boy, he is just he delivers great in this movie. He so is fantastic. so overacting in like all the best ways. Yeah, he but he's like he's overacting in, in the best ways, but he's also just like he plays it so. I mean, he knows what kind of movies he, he's in. It's like yeah. he knows when to dial it down and let the rest of the let the everybody else do the do the talking. Uh-huh. Um, do their overacting? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, some of it. I mean. There are a couple cases where the acting is just like really bad, but it's, you know, it's still you can accept it. Well, I mean, it fits uh, it fits the genre, I think, which is a fun sort of B-movie comedic horror, uh, like just a good time at the movies, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what, I mean, if you are looking for the ultimate in fear, um, this isn't it. Uh, it right. is just a really fun... It's a really, I mean, there are scary moments, but it's like, it's a really, just a really fun, like, horror comedy. Um, but the whole, the way they introduced the Night of the Living Dead is that he, you know, the punk rock kid who's getting the, his orientation, uh, James Karen, 
uh, yeah, Freddie, Frank, who's played by James Karen, Frank is like, he, Freddie asks, well, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen here? And he's like, oh, you want to you wanna see? He's I love like, that scene. Yeah. You know that movie, Night of the Living Dead? Well, it turns out it's true. And it basically says that it's like <laughs> the army had developed this chemical to spray on marijuana, and it just made the corpses dance around. And so uh, they had to package everything up and and ship it to a storage facility. He's like, well, how do we get it? In Louisville. Like, yeah, in Louisville. He's like, well, typical army fuck up. They sent it to the wrong place. Oh, that's right. That's and right. And then he's yeah. like, uh, it's also really funny because it's like, he's like, and then he's like, is there anything, he cleans, there's like a wind, a storage window in this uh-huh. tank with the corpse and he's like, kind of like sprays it with Windex, like takes a whole <laughs> roll of paper towel and wipes it down with it. And he's like, he's like, is there any chance we'll get out? He's like, no, nah, this thing was built by the Army Corps of Engineers. It's solid as a rock. Gives it a slap and it just ruptures and sprays smoke Man, everywhere. that was one of the, like, I burst out laughing. <laughs> so like funny. Emily heard me from the other room. That was such a funny <laughs> moment. <laughs> Just, you know, Army Corps of Engineers, he hits it and immediately just burst right into their faces. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like largely because of of, uh, James Karen, because he's so, he's so credulous and he's so like, he believes what he's saying. So like, you just get that sense. uh, Such a good actor. Uh, So fun. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, they introduce the second set of of characters, which would be uh, the rest of the punk rockers. And that, for me, is largely what hooked me when I was in high school. Was like this was one of the only movies I'd ever seen with punk rockers where they weren't like the the bad guys. Yeah, and and there's really nothing better than '80s punk punk rockers in a movie. And it's another thing that I really love about movies like this, which is uh, there's the main sort of threat that's happening in one place, and then there's this, there's this side story of these unaware people you know, right next door that, and you're just sort of waiting on this convergence to happen. Right. But these are some of the best eighties, like, you know, it's a very tropey thing to have eighties punk rockers, but these are some of the best ones ever, I think. Oh yeah. And they have, I also love the fact, I mean, they're, they're named, uh, trash, suicide, uh, scuzz, Scuzz. uh, (laughs) uh, spider, and, and I, Freddie, and, and <laughs> Freddie, and and then there's Tina, who's just a normal girl. Um, but yeah, it's just I mean, they're like it's funny because like the, the very first scene, they're like, "Are we gonna party? Where are we gonna party?" Yeah, yeah. I thought we could. I think they use "party" as a verb like four times in like in forty five seconds. Uh, it's you know, and so that just sets up really quickly sets up what what their what their agenda is uh, for for the rest of the film. I love Spider. Uh, he's he sort of has a Rick James vibe going on. With that hair, yeah, and uh, has that great line at the end that actually had to rewind and put on subtitle because he says it so fast when they're sort of trapped, and he goes, "What are we going to sit around and fucking beat our meat, man? Uh, while we wait for these things, we can't kill them. We need to get the fuck out of here." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sit around and beat our meat. Yeah. Very eighties phrase. Be- beating your meat is such a good. Uh, yeah, that's that is like. Speaking of which, I'm glad uh, I'm glad uh, neither of us has uh, begun masturbating on the Zoom call yet. <laughs> oh my god, that guy! This, this, this oh, is yeah, yeah. yeah, this is going to timestamp the episode quite well. This is right after yeah. Jeffrey, uh, <laughs> New Yorker writer Jeffrey Tubin, uh, started masturbating on a Zoom call. Uh, oh, good lord, what's wrong with oh, people? Yeah, people. Uh, just a, as a public service announcement, just keep it in your pants. It's that easy. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Unless unless you're in a room with the doors closed and there are no cameras, keep it in your pants. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny because it's like, and then it's like, uh, the, like it immediately cuts from there to the general's house. 
Yeah, boy, the grumpy. Uh, I think he's a colonel. Yeah, oh, the grumpy colonel. Yeah, like where he's uh, he's so angry. <laughs> he yeah, he comes. He's like, oh, I made your favorite tonight, lamb. I had lamb for lunch. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he's like, how's your day? Crap as usual. <laughs> and you and know, then like, he just screams at poor Ethel. Yeah. Christ, Ethel, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the whole, I mean, the thing is, like, you're not exactly sure what he's there for, but it eventually becomes, you know, comes to, uh, becomes apparent that his whole job, one of his major jobs is to be available and monitor uh, any communications for the resurgence of these these canisters. Like, he Yeah, which we really don't know that yet, though, right? Isn't it sort of mysterious what yeah. he's listening for? It's kind of, I mean, it's sort of, it's intimated, but it's not really said outright. Yeah. Um, it just bugs Ethel, all those noises of the of the machines. Yeah, exactly, because he's got, uh, according to the, uh, I was listening to the comment, director's commentary track, and apparently that house, uh, the only piece of set decoration they had to do in the house was to make the computer uh, that he had to check in on. Uh, which was like in a nice wooden cabinet, but all this like garish, you know, it had all these garish, uh, all this garish art, and <laughs> that was just somebody's house. It was just somebody's house. It's just That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he's like, it cuts away from them. You know, we get to see them at the very. They bookend the whole thing. You get to see them at the beginning and the end. Yeah, but, I thought it was interesting that I. Um, I forgot about him. Oh, yeah. And I think that's sort of um, maybe what the movie intends for you to get so wrapped up in this story. And then when he comes back, it's very satisfying at the end. Yeah. Or is it satisfying? Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's all this. Uh, uh, the punks are picked up by by suicide, who's the only one with a car. Uh, yeah. He's got the best. He's got a great mohawk. He's got a great leather oh, jacket. Great. Got the X cut in the back of his head. Yeah. Uh and everybody's like, the thing is, like, he's one of those guys that I don't know if you had these kind of friends in high school, the guy with the car that everybody just kind of like, well, he's he's the driver. Uh, he's the guy that's got the car. And so you would hang out with him because he was your only means of conveyance. Uh, <laughs> yeah, probably the guy that failed a grade. So he's 16 before anyone else. <laughs> yeah. So that's a uh, so that was kind of funny. He's because it really played up that dynamic. Like everybody hates the guy. Everybody hates suicide. Well, they don't hate suicide. They don't like suicide. But still, he's the guy with the car. So they're all hanging out with him, and he's like, they're like yelling at him. He's like, oh, you're so spooky. He's like, you think I'm spooky? And he like lets go of the steering wheel to like go and throttle the person in the back in the black yeah. <laughs> in the back seat. Um, and meanwhile, trash, uh, played by Linnea Quigley, uh. A, True scream queen. She's like, I like it spooky. Um, goodness gracious. I'm blowing up uh, alert wise. I apologize once again. <laughs> I'd put it on mute, but then I couldn't hear anything. Um, so. <laughs> well, she um, in, in one of the more gratuitous examples of nudity ever in film, I yeah. think. Uh, trash. Leanna Quigley gets fully naked. For the rest of the movie, once they go to party inside the cemetery. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I read that, and I'm sure, of course, you know this, but they read, they, they fitted <laughs> her with a Barbie doll-like uh, lower lower covering. Yeah. Uh, instead of like a Merkin, which looked ridiculous anyway. Mm-hmm. So apparently that's what's going on downstairs because she's, she's just fully nude. Right. Well, a, a producer show, showed up on set while they were doing it, and they're like, they're like, you, what are you doing? You can't do that. Yeah, and so that's why they can't do that. And then it's funny apparently she was fine with it, though. Yeah. But she was like, well, uh, whatever, I'll oh. wear it or not wear it. <laughs> and Dan O'Bannon said, you know, the reason I had that is because at the time 
I assumed it was just be going to be a bunch of horny dudes that were going to go to this movie. And then yeah. when I went to see it, uh, I mean, it's still not a great rationale. Like you don't need <laughs> right. to, but it's like, he's like, Feed horny went, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you, if you're catering to horny dudes, you need to, I mean, anyway, but, um, <laughs> so, but he said ultimately, like when he went to see uh, screenings of it, it was pretty much a 50, 50 split of men and women. And he's like, and I, he's like, I never did it again. He's like, I yeah. figured out that that was just like a dumb, like it was kind of just a dumb thing to do. Uh, and I just never had to have, I never used that gratuitous nudity again. So I will say this though, uh, there's something, and I think it's why people watch that dumb show naked and afraid. Mm-hmm. There's a vulnerability when you're naked like that even more so than just being in a haunted cemetery full of zombies to be naked. Oh yeah. Um, I think it does ramp up the, the sort of factor a little bit as I will. I will also say this though, as somebody who's been a, uh, you know, back in my twenties, uh, I used to be a naked dancer for a punk rock band, uh, in Madison called Pachinko. Uh, seriously. For, I oh, love yeah. that brief period. It was like a year, uh, until they finally, decided, hey, you know what we don't need anymore? A naked dancer on stage with us. <laughs> so you would go up there fully nude and just dance? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my mom did not love it. Uh, oh, Joe. But anyway, That's why I love you. <laughs> but uh, I also realized that, like, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, it's funny because when you're in a crowded, a bar of crowded uh, drunk patrons, uh, you can get a lot of berth. Uh, people give you a wide berth if you're walking through the bar naked. So if you need to get to the bathroom, uh, if walking through the bar while you're nude, uh, <laughs> it was a pretty easy. Of course, I shouldn't have been nude because, like, God knows what was on that floor. I wasn't wearing shoes either. Yeah. Uh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was your your biggest concern was the bottom of your feet. <laughs> the bottom of my feet, yeah, and Lord knows what else I could have touched in that bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. You know, you get a, it's on the one hand, you're vulnerable, but on the other hand, you're, there's a certain, uh, you know, there's a certain weird uh, distance that people are willing to give you. I'm sure. We had a nude <laughs> walker uh, in our little d- downtown neighborhood area the other day. Uh, and, you know, the guy, um, he, he, we were at our friend's wine shop picking up some wine and he's known in the area, you know, very sad. He obviously has a mental illness, but just took a fully nude stroll right through the middle of the sort of downtown area and uh, and made it all the way back home, I think, without intervention. And so we were kind of, you know, kind of cheering him on. Yeah, good for him. I mean, I mean, not good for him. It, she probably, he shouldn't be doing that, but it's like, at least he's like, you know, if you are mentally, you know, if you are suffering from any mental issues, the last thing you need are police to be like, you know, harassing yeah. you. Because you never know how that stuff can escalate, as we've found out this year. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think before. he's well known to the police as well. But um, so they and they're they're uh, it's a good area. Like the police station is literally right next to the wine shop, and they're they're good men and women good. in this neighborhood. So we we thought it was going to work out okay, and it did. And he looked it looked very liberating, to be honest. <laughs> it's kind of inspiring. I mean, maybe if it. Uh... Well, we just got new neighbors at my house, so I can't make I, I can't uh, make a naked stroll through the woods at this yeah. point. So I, I missed the window for that because they take their dog all the time. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. 
Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, all right, so Night of the Living Dead, they're partying in the cemetery um, inside. Inside. I don't think we mentioned that we've got one of, to me, the best character in the movie is is Bert. He comes back, the business owner, to yeah. deal with this problem now. And um, boy, it gets really fun it inside gets- that warehouse. <laughs> right, because it's like the medical, the medical warehouse is full of like skeletons and there's a half dog and there's a, uh, there's a. Boy, that half dog. Crazy. Oh, oh that half dog. Yeah. After everything ruptures, like the half dog comes to life and it just kind of like they they freak out and they, like beat it with a crutch and that's like very jarring. And then they hear like the the body that was in the the cooling area starts like screaming and trying to beat uh, beat its way out of the doors. And Bert comes back and 
start swearing because uh, they shouldn't have been messing with that in the first place. And, you know, he's like, are you sure? Like, it's funny because there's a great line. He's like, are you sure it's alive? Are you sure that's a, a body in there? He's like, well, why don't you open the door and find out? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, I trust you. Um, and, and it also, that's, um, it's interesting because that body was slick and naked and hairless. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like zombified, like uh, the, the tar man, you know, that was in the basement. But, um, you know, they take the pickaxe and the hacksaw <laughs> in one of the most, one of the more batshit crazy scenes I've seen in movies yeah. was that one. It's right. Pretty when, great. They, when they, yeah, the zombie charges, they, it's funny because he gives like, he gives Frank the, the pickaxe. He's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then the zombie yeah. runs right past Frank and goes for... He makes a beeline for Bert. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they he goes for Bert and they pull him off and they whack him with the, with the pickaxe right in the back of the head. Doesn't do anything. And that's like... Uh, what's the... Uh, I can't remember. It's like... Oh, that's right. He says something like... Uh, I thought you said that, it would, that they would be destroyed. Uh, or they would be killed if you hit him in the brain. He's like, that's what the movie said. You mean the movie lied? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the interesting things about this movie, I think, is it really rewrote a lot of the rules that we know. It established some of the rules we know and mm-hmm. then broke and rewrote some of the zombie rules we know. Uh, right. Namely, that that braining them doesn't work. Right. Uh, they run. I think eating the brains was new. This was the first movie to do that, right? Yep. Before this, was a, they were just flesh eaters, and now they're like actively seeking out uh, brains, which just became such a trope that, like the you know, when the Simpsons had their Treehouse of Horror, yeah, uh, they just came out uh, brains, brains, brains. Yeah, yeah. But that started here, which is cool, and they really, um, and maybe to the chagrin of some people, fully explain why they eat brains in that one scene when they, they just sort of have the interview session with the, with the, the half, half body corpse, tied yeah. on the table. Which is also, like, first of all, that, uh, you know, we're jumping around a little bit. I guess it's fine to jump around. Uh, sure. You should, totally go, you should totally go see this movie regardless. It's a fun movie. But, um, you know, they, that's just such a chilling scene because, like, her whole impetus, like, she's, according to her, the impetus for eating brains is because it hurts to be dead. Like the pain, yeah. the pain of being dead. I can, like I feel, can feel myself, myself rotting. Rot. Yeah, yeah, that was really pretty impactful. I think it was, especially because like the the effects of the that particular zombie who's like you know all but skeletal has like a lot of like just barely has any flesh hanging on her bones and it's just like kind of writhing around in while she's strapped down to this like stainless steel table. Uh, it's just like you know, it just goes like. It kind of just stops being funny for that, for what, that's one of the times where it just stops being funny. And it's just totally. like, oh, that's really grim. Um, But yeah, so then they, uh, we'll go back to the warehouse. Uh, yeah, they chop up the body and chop- get it over. And this is a great moment in the movie when we finally get to meet Ernie. Yeah. Um, one of the great characters in the movie is, is Ernie. Right, Don Kalfa, who is... Uh, it's funny because like there are all these things that are that intimate that he was a Nazi who came to like who lives in the United States now, uh-huh. uh, which is really kind of a weird choice. I think I, d- I can't figure out why they would have done that. Like it yeah, doesn't make it a was whole, weird. It doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, I guess it sort of gives it a little bit of. I mean, I guess it gives it a little bit of depth, but I don't know if it's worth if it's worth doing necessarily. Um, not like he was like. I mean, he gets, he has like a picture of Ava Brown when they go in, he's listening to this like German 
opera that's, uh, you know, apparently written by one of the, you know, written around the time of the, you know, the rise of the Nazis. There was like uh-huh. a, uh, there's a frame pictures of Eva Brown. He's got a, a Luger that he pulls out. It's a very, yeah. but it's just like, it's never stated outright. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's a little weird. It's just like weird details that make you like, oh, this guy is a, you know, this guy is really kind of a shitty guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> But they just—it's they, a great scene though because they convince him that uh, the initial story is that they're these bags are full of rabid weasels. <laughs> <laughs> well, why do you why do you want to bring them to me? You know, uh, just call the ASPCA or something. You just bring them over there. Call Animal Control; they'll take care of it. He's like, well, you know, I don't want the reputation of the business to go. It's yeah. like watching him like try to spin through this in a way that yeah. makes it seem like it's okay for him to be like incinerating these live <laughs> animals. Yeah, when he eventually just ends up saying, "All right, here's the truth." And they yeah. pull out that arm that attacks uh, that attacks Ernie, and um, that that sets up one of the funnier, weirder scenes that is very mundane. But that scene where they're trying to discuss what to do, and Ernie just stops everyone for a minute just to cut the rest of his pant leg off at the <laughs> knee for like a full minute. <laughs> it is a really weird scene. I just I it never registered on like when I was watching the commentary. It like never registered with me how strange that was that it just like all action stops at that point (laughs) but he's like you know i mean it must have done it in one take as well it's also worth noting that he's wearing a he's wearing a a red track suit at the time Uh, like the entire thing is like his entire like mortuary outfit instead of being like a dress as a your stereotypical mortician is like Uh red track suit which is a really yeah, nice pretty good cosplay uh red track suit with one of the legs cut off at the knee <laughs> and like a bloody smock and uh 80s headphones that'd be pretty good oh man Costume, maybe i think ah maybe that's what i should do for halloween i was thinking i was thinking about going either as jay from the repair shop i don't know if you've ever seen that uh it's an it's no. it's a bbc show where they uh take uh they people take their their treasured items in to be repaired and they take them to the repair shop and jay is the guy that greets them he's got the Sort of like the, you know, the sort of British, very British cap and an apron and a very crisply pressed shirt. And he always uh-huh. says things like in it. Uh, it's really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think that would actually, like the Don Calfo one would be a pretty good, uh, Ernie would be a pretty good one as well. Um, yeah. It's hard. Like there's not a whole lot of costumes for bald 50-year-old guys with glasses. Uh, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> got to work with what you got. So, um so, yeah, the cat is out of the bag, literally, or the arm is out of the bag. Right. And then Ernie, uh, Ernie is pretty game to kind of to go along with this. Right, because he's sufficiently freaked out, and they're like, well, what if what if the, the bones are left? They're like, well, we'll turn it up higher. He's like, well, the only thing that'll be left is a heart. We're like, we can't have the heart. Well, we'll turn it up higher. So right. They incinerate everything, and then they just watch the smoke, like, the smoke plume go out of the ash, uh, you know, go out of the smokestack. And like mix with the clouds, and then all of a sudden it just like starts pouring down rain, uh, and you're like, "Oh, that's that's not good." Yeah, this is when shit really starts to kind of go. Uh, the punks are are being beaten down with this. They're calling it acid rain, like it's hurting their body, right? Which is very eighties. You don't hear much about acid rain anymore. Yeah, but at the time. you don't. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, and then it, you know, it seeps into the ground, and that's when uh, that's when the movie really kind of kind of hits the gas i think yeah that's when the the bodies start crawling out it's well it's funny too because they have the scene the sort of uh it's not a great effect it's like this sort of like skeletal body like sort of like right like sitting upright out of the ground and then its eyes open yeah and right then jaw drops yeah and right then uh 
45 Graves uh, party time kicks in. Uh-huh. Uh, do you want a party? <laughs> dun, dun. Um, which let's, I'd like to make a quick uh, side note about the soundtrack. That's also one of the reasons I was really into this because it had a, you know, it had a pretty good soundtrack overall. Yeah. Uh, had a little Rocky Erickson in there. It had, uh, it had the cramps uh, doing mm-hmm. surf and dead. Uh, it had the damned. It had, uh, you know, and f- back in the eighties, that was like the way, like if you were looking for, you know, a good sampler of like odd music or whatever, like soundtracks were kind of the main way to get in. Like you would like, it's like, I, I'd like to hear the damned, but I don't have a, you know, I'd like to hear the damned, but I don't have, I don't really want to spend enough money or a lot of money on a damned record. So, oh, this is a sam- This is what it sounds like. Great. Now I will spend, you know, it's a physical media is, that's one of the things I don't miss about physical media is like, you, yeah. can, you know, you don't have to. Uh, you don't have to take the chances quite as much anymore. But those right. chances, when they paid off, boy, were they good. But yeah, it, you know, it's such a... There's also one other person in the soundtrack was uh, SSQ, who did the song uh, uh, Tonight We'll Make Love Till We Die, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> which is interesting because that uh, two of the people from that became went on to become Stacy Q, who had a, heart, a, like a top 10 hit with two hearts two heart hearts two hearts that beat as one uh, I yeah, need I remember that. you yep that was a very you know they morphed from like synth pop or synth punk to just like straight straight pop in about two years so wow wow they were trying to get get a little money I think good for them uh <laughs> <laughs> uh another one of the great scenes kind of right when all the shit starts to go down is when the main uh when suicide I mean, they, he's the first one to go, right? And uh, we get a good, pretty good brain eating scene from him, right? They all they all go to the warehouse to try to find uh, Tina and Freddie, uh, and they, you know, they go but down into the basement where Tina has found the the tar man, the the guy that was in the had been in the the canister the whole time, who made his way out. It looks great, by the way. The the special a, effects work looked really good. It's fantastic. They what they were going for, they had to find a very very thin mime for that yeah. uh because as soon as you start putting like special effects on they make it really bulks you up and they were they wanted to make a guy that looked like his bones were sort of sliding around and he was mm-hmm. not really very well connected and it did a great job uh i didn't even know it was called the tar man until years after the fact because uh, they referred to him as the tar man in one sort of like throwaway line yeah and i never even caught it until 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 fairly recently uh but you know everybody else would they would call him Tarman and when you talk about when you talk about the movie you talk about Tarman as being like the zombie although how can have right. that zombie like the half zombie is great the the uh the zombie with like the the who's sort of like walking on his stumpy legs is great there's like oh boy that one's good oh yeah and there's uh, trash actually turns into a pretty good zombie yeah trash turns into like yeah her jaw practically comes unhinged well, it's funny because she has a little monologue. She's like, I fantasize about being eaten by old, like all these old men and they're just devouring me. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. Right. <laughs> but then when she comes back as a zombie, she does. She looks suspiciously undevoured. Uh, but, yeah, that is true. But whatever. Uh, I mean, yeah, I can, you know, there's no there's no point in being pedantic about the about the any supposed gaffes. It's still such an effective movie. <laughs> uh, the paramedics show up because um, this whole this whole time, one of the subplots is that Frank and Freddie 
are getting sicker and and becoming kind of living corpses. Right. And uh, that's when the paramedics show up. Those two guys are great. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, they have like no pulse. They, their body temperature is like room temperature. Their blood pressure is zero over zero. And they're like, yeah. and then <laughs> Freddie's like, what does that mean? He's like, oh, well, it uh, it means you're dead. Uh, right. <laughs> Or he's, I think he says, it means you're not alive. And he's like, they're like, what do you mean we're not alive? He's like, well, you're clearly, I mean, you're clearly alive because, uh, you know, we're talking to you, but uh, I uh, I don't know. Let's, we have to get some more help. And so they go out to the radio and. That's one of the good scary moments, I think. One of the genuine scary moments is when he gets in the front of the ambulance, his buddy gets in the back and he turns in those headlights. And there's just a that, standing army of, yeah, of zombies. Like that was good and scary. And I, and I really also appreciated how many zombies there were, how 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 fast there were that many zombies. Oh, yeah. Because it turned into like hundreds of, of fast-moving, running zombies. And uh, and again, it's still a fun, kind of funny movie, but there there are moments there where it's pretty scary. Oh, yeah, that's one of them. Like the, another scene where he gets out of the, you know, where he gets out of the van and he's like looking around and he's like, the door is open and he like closes the door, but that then reveals the zombie eating the brains of the paramedic behind the door. Yeah. And he looks up and it's just like, it is a really good, it's not even a jump scare because it's just like, it's not, it doesn't like leap out at you or anything. It's just like yeah. a really, I mean, I guess, it, I don't know. It kind of is a jump scare because it's just like, it's revealing something unexpected, but at the same time, it doesn't feel gratuitous at all. Like a, like a real jump scare does. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, man. But anyway... Two of the punks are sort of stuck in the warehouse. Yeah, they get split up. Yeah, they all get split up. Um, some of them go into the mortuary and they find, you know, where they find Bert and Ernie, not actually named after Bert and Ernie. Uh, <laughs> I did see that. I had to check and yeah, yeah. apparently an accident. Which is a weird accident for the, even for the 80s. But, you know, I guess it, <laughs> if you were in your 30s, you probably weren't thinking about Sesame Street. It didn't have the same impact as it did, uh, you know, as if you grew up on it. Yeah, and it's at this point where Bert is uh, is really like almost yelling every single line that he has. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved him so much. He was my favorite character in the movie, um, and the way that he and um, uh, who's Rick James, he and Spider going at it is really great. When he yells at him, uh, I don't have to tell you anything, Dick Brain. <laughs> it's one of the great lines. Yeah, they're like, uh, and there's. The whole time he's like, uh, you know, uh, Frank is like, you know, when he's yelling, he's just like, he's just like clearly, he's just yelling in agony the whole time. Like, cause by that time he's like, like everything apparently hurts because, you know, as I said, yeah. it hurts to be dead. And he's just like, it's distressing. Actually, that stuff was like, um, when he and Freddie were just constantly sort of wailing in pain, I was getting really, really anxious. And when they decide, like we need to think here. We got to get rid of these guys just so we can fucking get our head together. I was relieved. I was like, yes, please take these guys somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, can, you know, cause they're kind of boarding everything up and they're trapped in there with these two guys that are just wailing away. Right. And it's like, you feel for them because they're, they're clearly in, in control of their senses. Uh, but boy, it is really hard to, it's hard to listen to. Um, and it's also, you know, until that moment where they like, you know, there's that, moment where it's he sort of snaps out of that and just like that's the most chilling one for me is like when he stops like he just kind of goes a little bit limp and then he's like comes back he's like i can see it all very clearly now tina because she's like yeah by that time she's barricaded in uh with in the chapel with him in the chapel yeah and yeah, that uh, scene was stressful yeah when they start really turning like yes. the final turn and like she's like he goes off to you know he tries to eat tina's brain uh uh, Frank goes off and like goes to the incinerator where they incinerated the zombies. Like kiss, it's such a it is a weirdly, it's a kind of a touching scene. Like he it kisses is. his wedding ring, hangs it on the switch, 
opens up the incinerator, like climbs in and shuts the door after him. And then you can hear him screaming. Uh, yeah, I read that. Um, and you probably know this, but I read that James Karen came up with that idea because he didn't want to go. I think the original script had him going out in the rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, I don't want to go out there in this cold ass rain. And uh, he's, he mentioned rewriting it to make him in, like self immolate. Mm-hmm. And I thought it ended up being like one of the more effective scenes in the movie for, for sure. No, absolutely. It's much better than having him turn and, you know, just because if he just joins the horde of the like zombies, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just, yeah, it doesn't have absolutely. The, I thought that was really, really great. Yeah. And then, you know, Freddie in there turning against Tina. And then I guess he gets acid eyes, so he gets blinded. Mm-hmm. But uh, that stuff's pretty intense, too. Yeah, very much. <laughs> uh, I Yeah, it's a really fun – I mean, it's just like – yeah, it's – because it's like when you see – like the the makeup effects they did were so good on that because this whole upper – like the upper side of his face is, looks like it's like all splattered with acid yeah. and it's like is running. And then his like his dialogue is like, oh, Tina, I can smell – I can – I can smell your brains. Oh, yeah, Tina, they, you they made... Locked, she and uh, Ernie get uh, locked themselves in the attic. Yeah. Because uh, they get left, basically. They think they get left behind because uh, this that's when Spider and uh, and Bert, who, by the way, I, mentioned, I wanted to say, has one of the best tans uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, you, that you'll see in movies. Yeah, they split in the police car. And Spider's like, we can't leave him, we can't leave him. And Bird is just constantly going, fuck that, fuck that. Yeah. Well, he's like, I mean, because they can't, you know. It was a smart move, I think. It was a smart move, but it is at the same time. You feel, you feel bad, but it's like, yeah, he's right. You can't go back for for those people. And, you know, they end up back, they, they end up back at the warehouse. They call the number on the side of the, you know, they call the number on the side of the tank after, like, knocking the, you know, kind of like knocking the, tar man to smithers with a or to flinders i should say i'm gonna knock his block off and this is also after and it's a pretty um i think you feel pretty exposed when every cop that shows up gets eaten very quickly yeah and they keep every time they look out the window the next wave comes through and they realize that like fucking the cops aren't even going to be able to help us now right it does have like it's funny because like most of the comedy is in like is in the first half, but some of the most memorable comedic lines are in the second half where it's like, where they're like uh, a zombie is in the, the, the ambulance and he hears them. Uh, he's like, yeah. uh, Para, are you okay? Like uh, dispatch, this dis, uh, dispatch calling uh, paramedic two twelve or whatever. It's like, are you okay? He's like paramedic two twelve to dispatch, send more paramedics. <laughs> yeah. And then send more cops, yeah, send more <laughs> cops. Yeah. That was one of the great lines. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a really, uh, but anyway, the, so after the military has been called, uh, we have, we cut back to the colonel who's waking up, awakened in the middle of the night and you can't really figure out exactly what's going on Yeah. until you see like a missile being like, it's a really, I don't, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was just a computer, like very early computer animation. Is that what it was? I can't figure out what it was because like you see like this missile sort of being like sliding down and locking into place and it looks yeah. it doesn't look like i mean it looks and it's totally animated but i can't figure yeah, out it if looks it's different com- if it's computer animation like very very early computer animation or if it's you know uh if it's actual practical animation um but yeah it's they launch uh you know they just destroy 12 square blocks of louisville kentucky with a with a nuclear yeah. bomb <laughs> 
Optimal yeah, placement. I thought, was, I thought it was cool how they come back to that and how the army got involved. Like you, you can see the DNA of like a much bigger budgeted movie that they were trying to go for. Mm-hmm. Um, has this been remade? No, there was a sequel that I never saw because it just seemed it was I think just kind was of a like a couple of them, right? Yeah. Um I don't know if they're they might make a sequel at some point, but I or they might I mean, of course they'll they remake everything at this juncture, so I I can see be this being remade in in a big way, like a World War Z kind of way. Yeah. Since it features the army and you know. It's hard to do I mean, could you have this I mean, if they remade it, I'm sure it would be kind of like the RoboCop remake where the they just lost all they didn't understand the point of the humor in it. Yeah. They're like, yeah, just get no, rid of that it, it stuff. It would be way too self-serious for sure. Yeah. So this one is just like, it has got a really good sense of play. Um, and it's also funny because like the, the final lines are, of dialogue are, are, you know, the colonel on the phone. He's like, yes, he's, I think he's talking, not sure. It's not clear, but I get the sense he's talking to the president and saying, you know, oh yeah, we, uh, you know, the situation is out of control. You know, the Easter eggs have been found. Uh, He's like, we don't have any problem. Like, there's going to be a little fallout, but, you know, the rain will take care of that. Yes, sir. Plenty of rain coming. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> is it to drive it home? And then, of course, it's like rain bad, rain bad, as we found out. And uh, it just uses that same shot of the the zombie popping up uh, out of this grave with his, uh, you know, and opening its eyes. And that's where it ends. Uh, I mean, I can't believe they reused the shot, but I also it kind of works in this case. Yeah, it's it's sort of like, you know, this is going to happen again. It sets it up, obviously, for a sequel. Um, and I was sort of not surprised, but delighted to learn that this movie did pretty well critically. Um, yes. For, for a B movie, it got good marks. Like Roger Ebert really liked it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of like legit critics came out in, in defense of it. Oh right, and it did you know, and it did pretty well financially too. I think it had a four million dollar budget. It made fourteen million, um, and I, th- I think at that time there was a lot of, you know, early eighties horror movies were kind of, you know, horror was still kind of a malign genre at that yeah. point, and it was starting to come out on its own. But it's a, uh, it's interesting because like it was remarkably different from a lot of the other stuff. Like you had, it was different from the other like living dead or for the George Romero zombie movies. It was different from like the, the Halloween movies. I think at that point they were doing Halloween three season of the witch around there. Right. Which was the, the one that went different. Yeah. Have you seen that one by the way? No, I've heard it's great. It's It's on my list. Limited. It's limited. Great. Uh, It's like, (laughs) well, great. Yeah. For what it is. Yeah. It's like, it's really kind of, it's, Super hokey, but it's also like really, it's interesting. It's one of those movies that would, that would be great for a remake because you could tighten up a lot. You can make the, you know, make the, you could smooth out some of the hokiness because it's not meant to be a, like a, it's not meant to be a hokey movie, but it really kind of is, but it's very enjoyable and very entertaining. And it is, it does have some scary elements to it too. So yeah, so that's, I mean, so when I was a kid, like the reason I, chose this movie in the first place is because like we had a uh somebody had recorded this for us on off of HBO. Uh-huh. Uh we had like a tape with like three movies on it and this was like yep. the second movie and so I just would constantly rewind it to this one and just watch it like every every couple months I would just be like all right let's watch Return of the Living Dead again. <laughs> so I've seen it so many times um but it's still like I you know, I bought it. I think it's available streaming right now on Amazon, or did you have to rent it? 
Uh, I rented it on the iTunes. Um, it is, I think, on Hulu and Amazon, but it, you have to have a certain kind of subscription, which, which I didn't have. But okay. it was it was a lot of fun, like funny and uh, gross in all the right places, a little bit scary here and there. I love the kind of overacting that happens in this movie, sort of the how hysterical Tina was. Mm-hmm. And again, James Karen, even in that opening scene in the office where, <laughs> you know, he's just making all those faces yeah, with like- his... With his eyes and his mouth and... Uh, Sticking his tongue. Mm, yeah, the, mm. you want to see it? See what? The body. The body. Uh, sticks his tongue out like... Uh, like he's it was a dead really guy. great. It just it, it lent such a weirdness to the whole thing. And and I also love movies that feel like they were shot um, in a very confined area for not very much money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just... I don't know. There's an authenticity to that that... Uh, it doesn't have to feel like the real world. It feels like a, very much like a made-up movie universe. Yeah, they well, they built a lot of the sound. A lot of the stuff was built in the soundstage. Not a sound. They built a soundstage in a warehouse in Burbank for a lot of the interiors. Uh-huh. The exteriors, uh, they but they, and they also constructed the uh, they constructed the cemetery. Yeah, which is was pretty hard to do apparently because they didn't have the you know. They were looking for something that looked like a spooky cemetery, uh, and they just couldn't find anything with like the right amount of trees and grass and so on. So right. they just had to, you know, build fake gates and build fake tombstones and so on. Um, yeah, it's just super, super enjoyable. Um, the thing I like most about it is that balance of fun and terror at the same time. Like it's a, yeah. you know, it does so much better than say. The Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which have their po- have their place, and I really enjoy those, but the humor there comes from all One entirely liners. from Freddy Krueger just saying, yeah. ah, "I'm going to slice your face off in an inventive, creative, funny way," <laughs> right. and then he doesn't uh, do anything creative or funny. It just he just terrorizes <laughs> people. But you know, they uh, some of the dialogue. I mean the. You know, the dialogue was actually pretty funny. The dialogue of people who are faced with this horrible circumstance uh, yeah. and they're trying to make sense of it, that's – it rings true. Um, and also like Suicide, the the driving punk rocker is, has some of the best lines too. Uh, I just thought he was like uh, where trash is coming onto him. She's naked and they're uh-huh. – he's like, nobody understands me. He's like – he's just like, oh, I, I just – I bust my ass and then you guys just give me a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then she's like – Coming, she's coming on to him, and then he's like, pushes her away. He's like, "Have some respect for the fucking dead." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just so many kind of funny, weird choices. Um, I mean, James Cairn's whole performance was weird, mm-hmm. but uh, the Colonel, like, for him to just to be so angry and shitty to Ethel, um, it was just such a weird choice. You know, he walks in and he's just pissed off all the time about everything, <laughs> and it was just such a kind of a fun, weird thing to direction to go i think yeah there's a lot of i mean it's just like and it's it's yeah i just can't i can't sing the praise of this movie enough it's hard i mean it may not be for everyone but if you uh if you like if you like that blend of of horror and comedy this is where to go if you just like yeah. straight horror mm, i got all the recommendations but that's fine if you just you like know, i think i think this and evil dead kind of share some dna uh different kind of humor but um, they they live in the same world, I think. No, absolutely. Like smart, like they're both smart. They're both well informed uh, by their, you know, they're both made by like 
really creative directors who are not who are trying to do something more than just make a standard monster movie. Yeah, so. absolutely. I'm glad you turned me on to it. This is going to be a, you know, probably an annual viewing, solo annual viewing. This is not <laughs> Emily. Emily's not into this kind of thing at all, but I am. Well, you can have a watching party with other people later. Um, I yeah, would, totally. If I can, I can I make a couple a uh, couple other recommendations while we're Please. while we're here. Absolutely. So we'll call this a. Uh, uh, We'll call this the Joe Garden stream this. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, so we've been, uh, Hannah and I were trying to do the 31 for 31 where we watch a horror movie every day during the month of October. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if I get home at like seven o'clock at night, we're like, we're, we've morphed into early to bed, early to rise people. Yeah. So we started watching this, uh, this anthology called the Hammer House of Horror, which I oh, think okay. is on Amazon. It might, I think it's on Shutter, which is like, you can, subscribe to through Amazon for like a very reasonable fee if you have Amazon Prime. But that's a really fun, like that's been really fun. Like the episodes are, it's a little bit like Tales from the Dark Side, uh, which is another 80s anthology uh, horror series. Um, It takes itself a little bit more seriously and it doesn't always make sense, but it's just, it's, they're always just really kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, it comes from Hammer, which is the studio that made like sort of the 1960s and 70s uh, Frankenstein and Dracula movies where they sort of remade, you know, they reimagined uh, the classic monsters. Yeah. With, and gave birth to, you know, Christopher, you know, sort of launched the careers of Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, they don't appear in any of these movies. The These movies are, probably very accomplished stage actors. The acting is always pretty good, but the storylines don't always make a lot of sense. And they're when you watch a couple episodes and they're just kind of duds, they're still enjoyable to watch, but then when you hit an episode that really that really sparks, it's just like such a joy. Um also on Shudder, there's a movie that just came out called Scare Me, which okay. is not at all a conventional horror movie. It's very much uh it's more it's a lot more comedy drama with elements of horror and it's like a a struggling a guy who wants to be a writer is sort of snowbound uh in a catskills cabin and mm-hmm. his neighbor is also snowbound uh his others well his neighbor is also snowbound she's a successful horror author and they get together and they're like trying to scare each other but it's clear that the the dude is not very, you know, he's not very scary and he's just trying to, you know, and it's, it's hard to, it sounds like a very bad, it's a very bad description of it, but like, to be perfectly honest, like, if you can get five minutes, like, in without getting hooked, because like the mm-hmm. first, the first minute, like the first five minutes is like him being driven to the, to the cabin by a, uh, like a Lyft or Uber driver or something like that. And, uh, it's like the driver's played by Rebecca Drysdale, who's just like she was a writer on high maintenance and she just completely at first, like I didn't recognize her. And I was just like the first thing she does, I was like, oh, it's going to be that kind of movie. And then like she immediately like it's just like she just was so captivating and so funny. It's like such a good. Uh, yeah, she's so good in that. And it's just a, a really funny, really charming movie. And it does have horror elements. Uh, I totally recommend Scare Me. And also, right. yeah, as, I'm looking her up. I recognize her. Yeah, she's like I. Her brother Eric Drysdale used to be a writer for Colbert, and I. He's a comedy writer and uh, like performer as well. 
Um, yeah, she, she's very funny. And also as a general recommendation, I like to say, uh, if you make breakfast tacos, put some pickles on there. You'll thank me later. <laughs> Oh, man, Joe, you're the best. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for joining us. And obviously, I look forward to next October. Um, maybe I'll have you back before then to play. I don't know if you've heard the new game that we're playing. I have. I'm terrified. Uh, Hot Shot. <laughs> so maybe you can be a special guest to play that if you're game. I'll figure out. I'll, I'll try to go the Annie, the Annie Casey route. And uh, okay. <laughs> she had uh, she she nailed it. Uh she nailed it with five movies. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we just had a, uh, a, a special guest because this is coming out before he comes on. So uh, we had a very special guest on to play yesterday who was a mutual friend of both of ours. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward. I, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to it because I'm I'm not only a guest. I'm a I'm a fan, too. So I know, man, you're the, the only person who actually listens. that's on this show. So I appreciate <laughs> it, as always. Uh, give my love to Hannah. I will. And and, uh, and thanks for enlightening us with your with your genre knowledge. Thank you. I will. Uh, I hope it. I hope it went well, listener. Thank you very much. Great. <laughs> All right. All thanks right, a thanks, lot, Chuck. Thanks everybody for listening to. All right. Bye. Bye. Movie Crash is produced and written by Charles Bryant and Noel Brown, edited and engineered by Seth Nicholas Johnson, and scored by Noel Brown here in our home studio at Ponsty Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.